Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. The Startup CPG Network exists to give those in the food industry who are working towards creating better products and better for you brands a better chance in succeeding. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about brokers. What is a broker? Might you need one? And what is it exactly that they do? To do that, I've invited onto our show, Jake Huber. Jake has extensive sales experience, has been a broker himself, and will tell you in more detail a little bit about his experience and expertise. It doesn't need to be confusing. We've been putting round cans on square shelves for a few hundred years. People make this stuff complicated. It's actually not. We just need to kind of step back and think about it maybe at a more basic level. So Jake, what is it exactly that founders need to know about brokers? What do they do? It is a often misunderstood, at least in my experience, uh, service provider. And it is a critical part of the business, especially on the sales side, which is one of the more important parts of the business early on. Happy to share what I know. Thank you, Jake. So how do you know so much about brokers? <laughs> well, I won't exactly say I know everything. Uh, my credentials here are that I've been a salesperson all my life. And then I moved into brokerage. I worked for a national brokerage, which at the time was Harlow HRK. It was a Kroger-dedicated broker. And we represented, um, I was in the department that represented probably about 60% of the natural food brands at Kroger. Uh, and I did that in a leadership position for probably about four and a half years. I loved the, I love that side of the desk. You get a lot of variety. You get to advise a lot of brands who may not know a particular customer And uh, since then, I had moved off to being on the manufacturer side as a head of sales, a vice president of sales for a number of startups. Actually, uh, we were just talking about how they're all based in the Bay Area, but I had to hire them. I had to drum up excitement about my brand to get them to actually sign me up. And I've managed them, uh, hired them, and kind of negotiated with them for, for many years. So kind of how I know uh, a little bit of what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for wanting to share this information with our community and even noticing that a lot of people don't know what a broker is and they have a lot of questions. So what does a broker do exactly? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I had a LinkedIn post and there was some comments around this. And a lot of the confusion does come from, you know, there are sales agencies, there are brokers and to constrain what we're talking about, I, I'm typically leaving this for mostly center stores, CPG brands, uh, beverage brands are fine, but typically your run-of-the-mill broker is essentially an, a, an extension of your sales force. Um, these people have intimate knowledge of the customers that they call on. Uh, oftentimes at a startup, it's maybe the founder doing the sales or maybe you know a head of sales that was brought in very early and the founder. And there's just no way that you can really truly understand each strategic customer out there at the level that you need to. So you kind of plug into broker networks to help you scale. That is kind of the distribution arm of what they do. But there's a couple other areas that they provide service in. But for the most part, that's really what you're looking at. Got it. So are there different kinds of brokers, say brokers who deal with larger companies like Target, Safeway versus brokers who maybe specialize in smaller companies? Yeah, there are. Um, There are different kinds. There are little regional brokers. There are national brokers. And again, there are everything in between. You can hire, you know, basically people that are essentially called master brokers and they have relationships from years of being in the industry that they can pull in 
uh, regional brokers to kind of give you focus in a specific area. Uh, so there, there's a wide variety of choice out there, which again, leads to some of the confusion. Some of them are harder to find if they're smaller. For the most part, to speak in broad generalities, it's easier to speak about the national players and what you would do. I don't think there's any reason why a small brand can't be with a national brokerage as long as you kind of get yourself in a position to be attractive to them, uh, especially today's day and age. Certain customers oftentimes have boutique brokers attached to them. Target, you mentioned, is a classic example of that. Most national CPG brokerages they may have a target capability, but it's not exactly their kind of bread and butter. There are a dozens of these boutique brokers in Minneapolis area that are very tied to target. Sometimes as a strategic choice for a brand, you will you will take a national player everywhere, but carve out certain customers like Target or Walmart or Costco that are especially unique in how they go to business. And it may be beneficial to you to partner with ones that kind of have that specialized knowledge in the with the local customer. What is it that people tend to misunderstand about brokers and the relationship that they should be cultivating with them? Yeah, I, you know, misunderstanding is, in my experience, generally a function of just not understanding their business or your own. Um, if you come to them and you're kind of just heard that brokers are kind of what you need, you're going to struggle to find the right one and to get them excited in a, in a kind of a meaningful way. So I, I think it's really important, which is really why I did the piece and why I'm here talking about it. It is helpful to understand, especially very critical service providers and agencies and things like that, just what exactly do they do? Um, and oftentimes I find most people are not comfortable asking bare bone questions like that. Like, hey, what exactly do you do? Talk to me about like 30,000 foot view. How does this all work? Um, it also is confusing to people because uh, you have to take a very active role in brokers. It's not just a, hey, I hired you. I'm paying you you know, 5% of my net sales. You should just be going out and selling like you're part of my team. Um, in some ways that's true, but in many, many ways it's not. And so I think people get frustrated with the wrong expectation on how this service works. And I think with a little bit of understanding, uh, not only of your own brand, but of, of their business and, and their landscape, uh, will really help clear up and make you a much more effective, um, brand at getting your distribution and, uh, leveraging those service providers. Because you do, you end up paying them quite a bit of money um, and you got to make sure you're justifying that. And the only way I know how to do that is by understanding their business inside and out. What is it specifically that CPG brands could better understand about brokers and how their business works? And also what can CPG brands better understand about their own brands before entering into negotiations or partnerships with brokers? Yeah. So, I mean, look, the 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 30,000 foot view and, and there are other mm, parts of their business and each one of them is differentiating in different ways. But in my mind, when I go and approach a broker and I'm going to ask them questions and, and they're going to do what I call a dog and pony show, they're going to show me a deck about what they do and how they do it. Um, you're going to want to drill into some areas uh, that and make sure they kind of check the box. The first one being kind of a, a headquarter call, which is what we talked about before. You know, they they have people in Cincinnati to talk to Kroger. In fact, sometimes they have entire teams of people in these places. And it's important that you understand and, and you can, if that's a critical customer to you moving forward, 
talk to that team, ask for an introduction to that team, talk about how they do business. How would they strategize with you as it relates to Kroger? What, what insights do they have about Kroger, about your business? Um, they're a wealth of, of information and you should take the time to leverage that before you go and meet with Kroger or you even meet with the broker or decide to sign them up. So, you know, HQ calls are kind of what most people will think of when they think of a broker. Uh, although that's just the beginning. Uh, once you make the call and you have business, then there's kind of ongoing business. The one caution I threw out here in the article, of course, is that you own that relationship with the customer. Um, you own the relationship with the broker as well. So you got to make sure you take a, um, a, proactive role in establishing that directly with your buyer. I think oftentimes it gets back to that mentality of like, I hired a broker, they're going to go do it and I can go focus on other things. That's true to a certain extent. Uh, they do give you scale. However, you can't be derelict in your duty. You you got to be able to to establish that relationship. And I, and I think most founders and salespeople instinctively understand that. So that's kind of the caution there. Um, one of the other areas, and Kroger's a really good example, and I'll use it because it's it's a dynamic retailer that's centrally located in Cincinnati for decision making. However, each one of their regions or banners uh, can also be called on in specific ways. And there's there's a little bit of nuance there, but that's that's essentially what you can do. And there are regional calls, and regional calls involve, say, the Kroger banner, or I consider it anything all the way down to the onesie twosies and through Enfra and NCG and uh, those are oftentimes held by like, you know, they're they're literally making the brokers are making phone calls in their offices or stopping by these places. Uh, it's important that you understand how those regional headquarter calls um, operate and how they roll up to the larger strategy you have for that particular customer or channel. Um, regional ones are are regional calls are typically very underutilized. They're, you know, uh, your typical maybe brand new CPG person, salesperson or founder to this uh, to this role may overlook these, uh, but there's a lot of hay to be made in those calls and kind of um, giving some attention. And it's one area when you're interviewing a broker, you can find out how appropriately staffed are they. When you start getting into regional calls, like, okay, Kroger, great. You got 12 people in Cincinnati. You got anybody in Denver to call on King Supers? And if they're like, well, no, but we have this or this, or no, we have, you know, we have five people dedicated down there to call on King Supers. Um, it just starts to give you an understanding of, of where that broker is placing their bets. And does that line up with what you're trying to do? It's, it's really just kind of matchmaking or dating in a sense, except for there's not that many choices. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. So call support is essentially an extension of your sales team. They're going to be making sales calls for you. Yeah. And there is headquarters sales support and there's regional sales support. Yeah, for the most part. Um, and I, I think the, the big part of that is, is that they are a wealth of information. Um, you are not only negotiating with your buyer when you sign, or not, not your buyer, with your broker when you're signing them up, but then once they're on the team, you guys are then strategizing with the buyer um, of the particular customer and, and, and information is key. Um, you want to understand from the broker who has presumably called on this buyer um, or somebody on their team has, and that's a lot of information. How do they do business? What type of personality are they? Um, how is the category doing for these guys? Uh, is it growing? Is it not growing? How, are, how open are they to innovation? 
how what what type of person are they you know personally I, these things are incredibly important if you can leverage them the right way and brokers are a wealth of information uh, as it relates to this stuff so yeah the, those two calls are the are the probably the most common um, when associated with brokers can you expand a little bit on innovation what would that look like when you're having that conversation with a broker well I'm actually asking the broker how the buyer is. So if I'm talking to, you know, Amy, who's my broker for Kroger, and she knows the buyer, and I, I happen to not know the buyer, I'm going to ask her before we go into that meeting as much information about that person as possible. And that's just, you know, salesmanship one-on-one. You, you, you should have empathy for this person's desk. You should really try to understand what they're doing because ultimately you're building a narrative and Founders oftentimes get get in the in the trap of really talking about themselves and talking about their brand and talking about how great it is. All that doesn't mean much unless it actually fits within the buyer's strategy. And so you really want to understand that strategy, and you may want to understand. Oftentimes, founders are bringing very innovative items. Um, it's best to know is this person generally open or closed off to innovation. If they're closed off, you know how to probably position yourself a little better and not start thinking everyone's open to innovation all the time and think more across like, okay, if they're not open to innovation, how do they provide growth in their category? And they'll tell you, you know, oh, they do it through, he likes, uh, you know, EDLPs and having low cost across the entire category because, you know, their data sh- indicates that that actually provides growth. Okay, great. Now when I walk in, I have a completely different strategy than, I'm, than I may have had with Safeway NorCal you know, that, that wanted something else. So they're just a good in, information resource when it comes to that stuff. It's important to build a partnership and a relationship with your broker because they could be a wealth of information and give really valuable insight to your product. The good ones do. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> in the same vein of information, you also write about brokers and their services with data and analytics. Can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah. So data, look, data is, uh, as we all know, kind of the uh, a lifeblood of our industry. And it has taken a lot of the, um, the, the high touch aspect of brokerage business, lots of field teams, audit teams and stuff like that. And it's converted it really into data. Now, data is very expensive. These guys, especially the national players, buy you know, huge contracts from Nielsen, IRI, Spins, Mintel, all these things. And it's an investment. Um, and there are, of course, rules around what they are allowed to share. Most of it is read only. Um, it's important that when you're talking to brokers, you truly understand exactly what you have access to and how much they're going to work on it with you. Um, again, this is something I'll underline. And I, I spent a, a, a chapter of my life in data analytics. And it's it's important that you as a founder or even head of sales or, or just the startup team, the executive team is comfortable enough to get data sets and then tease out the questions and things that they need to understand. The brokerage will provide you with some pretty basic menu services. They'll throw the data into pivot tables. They'll show you category analytics. Um, oftentimes this is read only. And then occasionally if, if you have a very specific ask for the brokerage in terms of mining some insight out of the data, they can generally do that for you. But if you want them to keep going back and touching it and kind of being your in-house category manager, you're going to be pretty disappointed and they're going to get frustrated with you. So I think it's important that 
We all recognize that data is vitally important. You have access to it through your brokerage, which is a, you know, for whatever, uh, 5% of your net sales, you get, you know, all the support plus data plus all these things is, is really important, which is why it's also helpful to get a broker early on uh, because they can provide you a leg up in terms of getting this type of data that normally, you know, this stuff is really expensive and I don't advocate any startup spending their budget on data. You should use it through your brokers and other partners. So it's, um, it's really important. Uh, the caution is don't be kind of pigheaded in asking for a lot of this stuff. I mean, look, they work for you. This is a, this is a partnership, but they are not built to provide custom analytics for every single principle they have. They have hundreds of them oftentimes and, and really the top 10% pay the bills. So just recognize where you fit in there. And then if you don't feel comfortable getting and manipulating data, you should start and watch some YouTube videos and get smart on that stuff because you're going to need to understand how to answer those questions yourself. And that'll just make you a better founder executive team in general. So that's my, that's my soapbox. Yeah, makes sense. So you said earlier that companies should look into getting a broker earlier on in the process. Yeah. Early on. I look, I play this a little differently because it's just I know a lot of them, so it's easy for me to say this. Um, and look, I'm, I'm if anybody wants to reach out, I'm happy to provide any introductions or anything like that, or, or give you know advice and things like that. But look, when we were starting, or even pre-launch, you better believe I already was calling presidents of brokerages to get an audience with them because my job is to get them excited about it. When you haven't fully revealed what you are or what you're doing, everything's the dream. Um, so it's your job to go sell the dream. And I think early on you should do that. And look, sometimes it's not a big sell job. It's really, hey, Charlie, president of XYZ Brokerage, I, I want your advice. These people are very, very experienced, smart. They have a unique perspective on our industry. They see tons of brands. They know every customer. Sometimes when I need a job, I, I, I don't go to recruiters. I go to the heads of brokerages. They know more about these industries and who's going where and what than most people do. And because of that, there's somebody I stress test ideas on. I'll go to them and say, hey, here's a concept. Here's the brand. Here's the business model. Here's the strategy. And here's the consumer. What do you think? And if they're excited about it and they're like, that sounds really good. You might want to think about this or that you're getting them involved in the process and you're getting them bought in. And I think that lays the groundwork for eventually signing. Oftentimes, if you're really good at it, they'll be like, hey, so when do we when do we get it? <laughs> and that's when you know you're doing your job. So I think it's important that as you're going around as a founder, uh, you're telling your story to a lot of people. Uh, in the beginning, that's all you're doing. You're a storyteller. You're storytelling to distributors. You're storytelling to customers. You're storytelling to brokers. And it's all with the mind of getting them excited to bring you on. Now, with that said, you don't need a broker right away. Plenty of people can make it at least in the first few years without any brokerage whatsoever. Uh, it just depends on your network and who you know. And uh, look, at the end of the day, you're probably just trying to get in front of a few customers, probably in a region. And that's where you should focus your time and effort. I think founders should spend a lot of time getting their own distribution because again, you may have already laid the groundwork with the broker. Uh, you keep them in contact, just like they're an investor. You know, you keep them up to speed on what's happening quarterly. Like, hey, just want to let you know we got you know two hundred more doors. 
Uh, we've got velocities in this range and just kind of keeping them excited and, and on the pulse of it. And then when it comes time to actually signing a broker, when when you have maxed out you know, your ability to manage the distribution and the relationships and there, there are now requests coming in for it, you're going to need some support. And I think that's when like the drop dead date is, is like, okay, I need some, I need a broker. I need uh, the ability to scale. When that comes, if you have distribution already, you've got cash flows coming in, you have something for them to actually get paid on to begin with, is leverage for you. So take that opportunity and build out some business, build some leverage so that you can negotiate more effectively with them when the time is to sign. And it's going to show them that you know what you're doing. Uh, if you don't have a track record, if you're a brand new founder, look, you, you kind of got to go prove it a little bit and, and prove that the consumer is going to purchase this before they're going to take a bet on you. But it, it can be different for all different stripes. Okay, so what's the best way in? Where does one even get started? Who do you contact? Especially if you're not quite ready to sign a broker, who is it that you talk to to start laying the groundwork and forging these relationships? Yeah, look, there are two ways. You either get an introduction or you go what I call over the transom, which means I'm just going to submit myself to like their website or something, which is a way to do it. It's not effective. Um, they they may call you back, but look, if you have that good of a product that they're gonna they're gonna see you over the website and and love you and call you back, then yeah, maybe maybe that is. But your investors should have some network. Startup CPG is a wonderful place uh, to actually come. These Slack channels, these communities, where you say, hey, look, do you know anybody at these brokerages that would be willing to talk to you now? If there is somebody like, let's say, I, and I do, I'll, I'll give introductions for for brands. However, I want to see the brand. You got to kind of get me a little bit excited on it before I'm going to put my reputation to say, hey, this person's actually pretty good. You should check this out. That's why kind of sales cure all. But look, I think introductions are far more valuable and you should always look for a personal recommendation to get in the door. And if you're if you're struggling with that, I think you uh, should take more time to cultivate your own CPG network uh, as it relates to that, because you should have an access point to at least the major guys out there, um, major brokerages, distributors, customers, and things like that. Otherwise, if you come in and you have no sales and they're willing to sign you, they, they are going to ask for probably a retainer of some kind because they are spending money on you. And if you have no sales, but they do believe in what you're doing, be prepared that there's going to be a retainer ask. And that retainer is whatever it is, you know, $5,000 a month or something like that. I'm making it up. It depends on geography, all kinds of things. But that retainer should go away once your sales and their commissions thereof outstrip that retainer. That's generally how these agreements work. Look, relationships matter. Credibility matters. Um, if you've delivered with these guys three times before, it's a lot easier to get that fourth conversation. I mean, it's, it's common sense. So. Of course. What should we know about distributor support and field teams? So field teams uh, were, and I kind of mentioned that with data, like those are like two different, they, field teams used to solve all, answer all the questions. Before there was massive data and scan data and stuff. You would literally have teams of people out in the field, walking in stores, filling out paper forms about whether you were on shelf, priced correctly, and in sellable condition. Those field teams still exist, but they are, as you can imagine, an incredible expense for the brokerage. And as data has come up, you can, you can answer a lot of these audit questions. I call it auditing through data. 
I can see where I'm scanning. I can see what I'm priced. Uh, generally speaking, I can at most large retailers that provide that data. But I, I can kind of answer those basic questions through data. And then if I see any anomaly in data, so I see that some store hasn't scanned us in six weeks yet, we're planogrammed to it and you know we should be there. That's when the broker teams, so they have the field team, they, they audit, but they also have blitz teams. And that would be for a specific action. And so if I'm looking through the data and you should be the one looking through this data and you see that something's amiss, you can then go back to the broker and say, hey, I need to put a request in. I want the field team to go check this store, this store, and this store, take some pictures, find out what's going on, talk to store management. And that's one example of kind of how you can use field teams and how the difference between auditing and blitzing. Not many brokers still do auditing, although it does still happen. Um, it's usually either right when you launch, uh, but it's not ongoing. And then the blitz teams are you know, anything for special requests. Say we've got a bunch of IRCs and we want them placed in a specific region. You know, you mail them out to the reps, they go out, they go put them on packages, take a picture, verify that it's done. Sometimes it's about selling in shippers. If you can sell them in store by store, they'll go out for this month. Uh, let's say it's January. I want to sell in, you know, a hundred shippers. We're going to give a deal on them. You know, here's a one pager. You create all that for them for their you know sales collateral, and then they go out and, and sell the sell against them. So field teams are um, if they have them, again, it shows you where they're prioritizing and where the broker feels like they're getting good ROI for their brands. And different brokers will stress these things more than others, for the most part. And I can be challenged on this in this conversation, but for the most part, I see field teams being cut back more and more. And having it more centralized and and data driven, and really they're just trying to be efficient with it, which I could see and I, I advocated for in brokerage when I was in it. I think a lot of that can be uh, a lot more efficient. So um, understand their field teams, understand how they operate. If they do do audits, understand how often they're in the stores. They usually will classify stores as A, B, and C stores. They want to be in A stores a whole lot more than they're in C stores, and just try to dig in if they're doing that to find out exactly their frequency and how, how that impacts your business, how often they're actually looking at your stuff. Because look, it's a big expense for them, but you're also paying them a chunk out of your net sales. So you got to make sure that you feel like the ROI is there and just another area of, of negotiation and, and information gathering. The, the other part is distributor support. So I, I threw this one in there because the legacy of brokerage was especially the big national players. And I, I won't name them because they're, they're pretty easy to, to know. They're laden with debt and they oftentimes will have entirely separate teams dedicated to quote unquote their natural brands. And essentially what's that, what they're sorting by is source. They say, okay, if, if you're a direct to retailer X, if you ship directly to them and you're a direct vendor, you get managed by our regular team. If you are through a distributor, at a particular customer, we have to send you to an entirely different team inside the organization. And it is critical you, you understand how they manage that. Because again, that, that has to do with the wiring inside the brokerage. So when I send a message, how does it all get filtered through? Many times you can sign up with these brokers and all of a sudden you find out, oh, they can't do this or that. It has to go to this other team. And look, for most founders in startup CPG land, your distribution is going to be a mix. And in fact, it'll probably be mostly distributor, but you know, price is a 
is a major indicator of velocity and, and shelf performance. And if you if you do go direct, say with like HEV, who likes to be direct and have a lower price, um, you're going to have a mix of distribution models throughout the country. And it's important that you're picking a, a strategic partner that can scale with what you are long term. Otherwise, you're going to be in a position to hire somebody in the beginning that you then have to get rid of later. It's a big distraction. It's a waste of money and it's just not fun. So I would say understand how they manage distributors and how they manage different sourcing. And that will give you some insight again to how they are managed. And are they built for companies like you? Are they built for the Unilevers, Kraft Heinz and Campbell's of the world? Big differences there. I'll tell you because I, I have the bruises from it. So um, again, that I think that's a, that's a critical piece, but um, one that's fairly straightforward. So how would you know if they're built for you? Um, I think you got to do your homework just like anything else. One, understand their business as much as possible. Use your network, who people who have worked with them before, get their experiences, understand that. And then I also think not only is, so there's the external part, find out about them as much as you can. And then there's the internal part. Um, and the internal part is you got to understand what your strategy is. Where are you going? Who is your consumer? And not just who is your consumer from like, a, oh, they're you know 24 to 45 female head of household, not demographic stuff. Ultimately, what you're looking at is before scaling, you should truly understand who your consumer is and not why you think they're buying it, but why they're actually buying it. And those are oftentimes, especially early on, very different things. So we as founders start off with a thesis like, oh, there's the gap in the market. I'm going to create this product and people are going to buy it because of X, Y, and Z. And that may be true. However, until you actually get it out into market and literally go yourself into stores and talk to consumers to understand why they're buying it. And you have to phrase your questions really well. And Daniel Sharp is a wonderful person to talk to about this. It's um, it's critical that you understand unbiased why they're buying it. And once you understand your consumer and why they're buying it, you can make any adjustments before you buy a hundred thousand packages or you know decide to go national with Walmart. Because when you need to adjust after that, it's really expensive. So figure that stuff out early on before you scale. And that requires discipline and checking your ego a little bit sometimes, but do it. And then once you understand your consumer, you can then flow back and understand, okay, what is my channel strategy to meet this consumer? Where is this consumer shopping? Uh, is it mostly online? Is it Costco? Is it grocery? Is it natural? Is it specialty? Is it mass? Where are these people typically? And for the reasons they're buying, what are the best retailers for meeting them where they are? So that should naturally flow out and you understand your business, you understand the broker's business, and then together you can then have a very good understanding of what you need long-term. And yeah, you should, you should understand that channel mix and that consumer strategy long-term and where are you going with this ultimately. Um, and how does that evolve over time? Maybe you start in natural and you end up in grocery, or maybe you, you start in club. Um, it depends on the product sometimes. Sometimes you need scale on production. I think it's really about truly understanding your business from a strategic plan and then understanding their business and what they're doing and then getting as much information about working with them as possible. And that, that should eliminate most of the risk on hiring uh, the wrong broker. Absolutely. 
So the best way to make the most out of your partnership with a broker is to ask the right questions and get some clarity. Get really clear on what it is your brand needs and what you're looking for. And also have a clear understanding of what it is exactly a particular brokerage can do for you and what they're able to provide. Yeah, I, totally. And look, I, I can get caught in it too. You, you don't want to look stupid at the table, especially when you're trying to get them excited about your brand. But I'll tell you what, ask the basic questions. You will get more insight out of basic question asking than these, you know, complicated questions that you're trying to halfway impress them, but also understand what they're doing, get to basics with them, you know, and that's why I said these, these five buckets are just good places to start. They're, they're kind of the meat and potatoes and, and understanding your business and theirs is, is going to be helpful. And if you don't know, ask and you'll be surprised. Most people want to help. Um, they're not there to just get people who know exactly what they're doing and are ready to you know, drive their Ferrari at a thousand miles an hour. It, it's it's really about learning together and, and, and really respecting the partnership that it is. Yeah. I'm curious, how long did these partnerships last? How long would someone expect to work with a broker? I would say you would work with them perpetually. There would be no reason to get rid of them unless your product requires a direct sales force. That may be like a, a beverage brand with a DSD. You get a partnership with like, you know, Dr. Pepper Snapple Group or something to be, or get on Frito-Lay trucks or something like that. That can be where it may not strategically make sense to be having a broker. Even the big guys have brokers, but they use them for their field teams. Um, that's all they do. That's all they use it for. So there's, again, out of those buckets, you, you could winnow down that, look, I only need these two services from you. And that's all I'm looking for. So it, it could evolve over time. But in my experience, there's no reason, especially for the lifespan of CPG startups, I mean, you're talking five to 10 years here. There's no reason why you should have to graduate out of a, out of a brokerage. Got it. Thank you. This was so informative, Jake. Thank you so much. Yeah. Breaking it down into five distinct services and, and really understanding exactly what kind of questions you should be asking of the broker, what kind of questions you should be asking of yourself and your own CPG brand, I think is really insightful. Yeah. And look, th those questions don't, they're not just, they don't just happen in the beginning and then you kind of pack them away and leave them. Your strategic plan should be something you kind of are always evaluating. Consumer tastes and preferences and the reasons for buying shift over time. Um, and you just got to make sure you're, you're keeping track with it and that strategic plan is still viable. And if it does change, of course, you got to then update your brokers and make sure you have, you know, scheduled annual reviews with your broker. You, you know, there, there's a big part of managing brokers that I won't get into here, but it's, it's important that you maintain communication. Uh, it's your job. It is as a founder or a salesperson, your number one skill probably is communication. So don't ever let off the gas with that and, and over communicate um, kind of at all times with, with all your service providers. And I think that's, that's a, a big key to, to success. It can be exhausting at times, but uh, it's, it's, it's important. It's a basic and the basics tend to get you what you need. I'm happy to share this stuff. I think um, there is so much more about this stuff. I think this is just intended to be a bit of a primer, inspire you to kind of look in other areas and have conversations about this stuff because as always, feel free to, anyone can reach out to me and I'm happy to, to share or expand on any of these topics as needed. What's the best way to reach out? Yeah, um, LinkedIn is always a good spot. You can find me there. Uh, you could also just email me, uh, jake at thebetterfoodgroup.com. Thank you, Amanda. 
Thank you, Jake, for breaking down exactly what it is that brokers do, bringing us back to basics and providing valuable insight as to how to start forming long-lasting, valuable relationships with a broker. Jake has written an article which we featured on the Startup CPG publication. You can access this at startupcpg.com. The article provides a really clear breakdown of the five services we've discussed on this episode today. If you like what you heard, you're interested in learning more, you want to be part of this community, sign up for our newsletter at startupcpg.com. That's where we send out all of our events. You can get involved by joining a virtual Zoom happy hour. You'll learn about the latest podcast episodes as they come up, uh, brands with really inspiring stories, upcoming news and insights about the Startup CPG community. So sign up for our newsletter at startupcpg.com. We definitely want to have you involved, potentially even feature you on our podcast. So thank you for listening to this podcast. Special thank you to Adam Yee of My Food Job Rocks for providing technical expertise and moral support while we produce the first few episodes of this podcast. I would also like to provide credit to the Super Fantastics for our intro and outro music. That is the band of our founder, Daniel Scharf, and every band member works at the company Eat Just Incorporated. You probably know them for the vegan egg scramble. They perform all over San Francisco. You can follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for listening to the Startup CPG podcast.